0: We're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 10, part two, the realities of the mission. These are as presented, these are real, these are truths that are consistent about the mission. But if you were to do a study, even a casual study of church history, a name that you would certainly encounter would be a man by the name of Polycarp. If you've done any study on church history, you are familiar with that name. He was a disciple of the Apostle John. He would have come in contact with people who had seen Christ in the flesh, Uh, Polycarp. He was the pastor of that great church of Smyrna that you read about in the book of Revelation, a church that was persecuted and faithful unto death. He would have had the original manuscripts of the writings of the Apostle John. He would have had near originals the rest of the New Testament books, and so uh, this was a very key early church father uh, in the history of the church, Polycarp, so you can dig more, but I want to share with you just some details from his death in 155 AD, which occurred under the persecutions of the Roman emperor Marcus Aurelius, many of you are familiar with that name. But history tells us that Marcus Aurelius was very sharp and very cruel toward Christians. Uh, He blamed Christians for earthquakes. He blamed Christians for floods. He blamed Christians for famines. He blamed them for pestilences. I mean, he hated Christians. Under his persecutions, Christians were beaten to the point where their muscles and their veins lay bare. He was cruel. Being an enemy of Rome, Polycarp was apprehended by Roman guards where he requested to pray and they let him pray. He prayed with such fervency that his guards repented from being instrumental in taking him. Nevertheless, he was brought before the proconsul, condemned, and burnt in the marketplace. The proconsul then urged him, saying, Swear and I will release thee. Reproach Christ. And this is over. This all stops. Here was his answer. Eighty and six years have I served him, and he never once wronged me. How then shall I blaspheme my king who hath saved me? Being tied to the stake He was encircled by flames without touching him. He was then pierced by a sword, and the amount of blood that flowed was so great that it put out those flames that encircled him. Christians collected his bones and as much of his remains as possible so they could give him a proper burial. Brothers and sisters we need to reconsider our definitions of what's hard and uncomfortable. We need to rethink this. Because I'm not sure that our definitions of what I don't like and what I think is hard and what's uncomfortable for me, and you read something like this and you go, Lord, help us. Help us! Listen, if the honest desire of your heart and mine is to be a disciple indeed, then listen, a reality that is going to have to set in with you and with me is that comfort, personal preferences, and what is ideal to us. Listen, Those are not a part of the accommodations package of being a disciple indeed. If you're saying you really want to come after Christ as a true disciple, as long as you're comfortable, as long as your personal preferences are considered, as long as the situations are ideal to your liking, you will never truly Follow him. You will follow him. I will follow him to the point at which we say, okay, this is uncomfortable for me. I stop right here. This is as far as you're going to go. A study of the lives of Christ and the Apostle Paul says that personal comfort, preferences, We're not a part of it. Listen, with your absolute best interests in mind, I need you to hear from me. You will never experience life changing growth until you are willing to follow the Lord beyond your personal comfort zone. You can go to church. You can read your Bible every day. You can read good Christian books. You can listen to podcasts seven days a week. You can can sit through countless Bible studies and conferences. But as long as your position is, Lord, I will follow you to the point at which it is comfortable for me. But once you ask for more than that, no. I, hey, I, listen, I, <laughs> I, I, I want you to be all that He would have you to be. I want you to do all that He would have you to do. But if you're serious about the mission, uh, you're going to have to divorce yourself from this idea that we are entitled to comfort. And our personal preferences will, God will take those into account and make sure not to ask anything more of us. It's just not reality, it's not the mission. So in 2 Samuel 10, David sent his servants on a mission that would take a very hard, unpleasant, and even humiliating turn. The king of Ammon, Nahash, had died, and although he was an enemy of the nation of Israel, as we'll see later on, he had showed David kindness at a certain point, and after his death, David was inclined to try and show kindness to his surviving son, Hanan, which we looked at last week. And again, we can make the argument or make the case for whether or not David was right or not. I will just say this, one of the things I was taught years ago, and uh, it stays with me from time to time, if you're going to err, err on the side of grace, which is what David did at a minimum for sure. But as we saw, that gesture of kindness was looked upon suspiciously. And ultimately, the response to that kindness was the shameful treatment of those who were sent to express it. That was the experience of the prophets. It was the experience of Christ. It was the experience of the apostles after he left. And listen, if we are serious about the mission, if we're serious about following the Lord, if we're serious about living the Great Commission, at a certain point, it's going to be your experience as well. It's not an elective. This is what I'm saying. The whole buildup was to, was to get to this point. I think, I think one of the things that, that can make situations, that can make life very difficult, is... Is not having proper expectations. Because the reality is, is anytime uh, you taste unmet expectations, it, it makes that very distasteful, right? Makes that a very bitter meal, doesn't it? Right? I mean, you we gotta be real, I mean, about what we should expect if we're gonna hear what the Lord reminded us of this morning from our brother. Well, what are we really stepping into? Well, this is what we're seeing in this look at the realities of the mission. So we continue in verse four of 2 Samuel 10. This is so much better in the Chiefs game, right? Yeah. Come on. What's the score though? I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right. Verse four. Wherefore, Hanan took David's servants and shaved off the one half of their beards and cut off their garments in the middle even to their buttocks and sent them away. So being convinced that David's motives were impure and that ultimately what he really had in mind Hanan rejected his kindness by utterly humiliating these ambassadors. Leviticus 19:27 gives us some context as to why this was such a, a terrible thing, but He says, you shall not round the corners of your heads, neither shall thou mar, that is, cut off a part of, the corners of thy beard. So in the book of Leviticus, God was showing the nation of Israel, his heart was to show them how they were to properly worship him and how they were to maintain a proper relationship with him. That was important to God given where they had come out of. They had come out of paganism and idolatry. And God wanted to make sure they understood that their relationship with him would not look like that. Right? It would be completely different. So their hair, started, it was a pagan practice. This was an issue, and God did not want that for his people. Now, what was different here with respect to David's servants was was that they did not shave off part of their beards. This was done to them. This was not of their own choosing. They would not have done this if it was completely up to them, right? This wasn't of their doing. That intensified the disrespect and the humiliation. These men were humiliated. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 20 gives us more insight into just the perspective of what was done to them and the heart behind it. But in the same day shall the Lord shave with a razor that is hired, namely by them beyond the river, by the king of Assyria, the head and the hair of the feet, and it shall also consume the beard. So God was pronouncing his judgment against his very own people, Judah, through Assyria. He would use them. You see this in the Old Testament, how God will use pagan nations to punish his people for their disobedience to him. And this is another instance of that. But he used the metaphor of shaving them from head to toe, including consuming their beard. Implied in that was this, I'm going to utterly humiliate you. I am going to publicly disgrace you So this is ultimately what was happening to these men who went in obedience to the king's command. That was the act that they had experienced. It was done to utterly shame them, but it didn't stop there because verse four goes on to say that their garments were cut off in the middle, even to the buttocks and sent them away. The visual was obvious here. I mean, these men were shamed. To the highest. We would say, you know, these, these guys, they were sent away with their tails te- their between their legs publicly. Can you imagine? Half your beard's been shaved off and your garment's been cut to the middle where it's, you're on Front Street. Interesting. These men had gone in obedience to their king. And what did they get in return? Public disgrace. But would you notice? God let it happen. God knew it was going to happen, and God let it happen. Here's the third, and I do mean very sober reality about the mission that is this, the Lord Will allow us to be treated woefully. If this hadn't gotten real, it should get real right here. He will allow you, out of complete obedience to what He has commanded you to do, He will allow you to be treated woefully. this is what I was saying right earlier about I mean do you really are you expecting to be comfortable are you expecting to be liked and loved and appreciated right I mean being kind is a wonderful slogan sounds great and it seems like something safe to do right I mean how harmless could it have been to go and show kindness to the king's son after his father died this is going to be a slam dunk this is this is a layup And you walk away, have your beards gone, and then you look like an idiot publicly. Hey, this is the deal. Some lost people are going to misinterpret or or abuse our kindness. Do you know that? You can expect that. You can expect that there will be lost people who will misinterpret your kindness, or they will abuse it. Ten years ago, I was a teenager. I had a fast-food job at Chick-fil-A in Atlanta. Uh, there were no Chick-fil-A's in my neighborhood, so I had to go across town to work at Chick-fil-A. It was close to my high school, which was also across town, outside of my neighborhood. But at this particular Chick-fil-A, it was owned by a, a believer. His name was Greg. And there were a number of, of high school students who worked at this Chick-fil-A that belonged to a Christian school. A lot of them were young ladies, and they had to have been praying for me. Uh, they, would, they would talk to me about the Lord, which I thought was funny. I thought it was corny. I thought it was weird. I was a lost kid. I grew up in an urban situation uh, that was weak to me. But these girls would actually give me a ride home at night so that I didn't have to take the bus across town late at night, which is no big deal to me. I grew up doing that my whole life. I grew up on buses and trains all over the city of Atlanta. And So riding the bus at 10 o'clock at night was nothing to me, that was just life. But they thought that was terrible, but while these young ladies would give me a ride across town in my neighborhood at night to my front door, some of the things that I thought, said, and ultimately tried to do to them were grievous to the Spirit of God. They were kind. They were just trying to be kind to me. They were just trying to show me the love of Christ. They were trying to lead me to the Lord. I misinterpreted their kindness, and I most certainly abused it. And to my discredit, the Lord allowed that to happen in the lives of those young ladies. I can't imagine my precious, beautiful little girl driving a guy like me across town at that time of night. But you know what? Was it in vain? No, it was not in vain. Those seeds that were planted most certainly got watered. And God gave an increase and you know what? Praise the Lord, at the judgment seat of Christ, those girls will be rewarded. They they probably have for, I, I wish I could, I, I wish I could I could meet them and say, first of all, thank you. <laughs> Second, I'm so sorry. For the things I said to you, for how I've looked at you, how I treated you. But it wasn't in vain. I met the Lord. (laughs) You know, I did. um, I did call that manager. Not that long after I got saved. He was he still owned that store. Um, I was closing one night. And. uh, I stole from him. I purposely took items from the store, and I set them outside, and on my way out to go get on the bus to go home, I picked those things up, and and I took them home to my family because I wanted to help feed my family, but I stole. I stole a whole bag of chicken breast, boneless. We're going to have Chick-fil-A at home, guys. Didn't quite work out that way, but... That that was that was the intent. And when I got saved, I remembered him and I remembered those folks there and I called him up on the phone. I said, you might not remember me. My name is Kenny Morgan. You hired me. I was 15 years old. You all were so kind to me. You were so generous to me. You were so loving. You, you tried to share a Christ with me. But here's what I did that night. You know what he said? When I confessed that I told him, I said, man, I, I've met Christ I, I'm a new creature. My life has been completely turned upside down. You know what he said to me? He said, I know. I forgave you. He knew that, I mean, like, you, you don't, you talk about a whole bag of chicken breast. You kind of know if you're doing inventory. Something's missing here. I think I know where, where it went. It wasn't in vain. All right, sometimes you can have these encounters and you think, man, what a waste that was. No, it's not a waste. A seed's being planted or watered, man. You just just be obedient. Amen. Yeah. But here's what we all have to remember: The Lord never calls us to endure something that He did not endure. Don't ever forget that. He's not calling us to endure anything that He himself didn't endure. Look at Matthew 27, verse 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers, and they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. Our familiarity with certain texts and our constant preoccupation with deep things in the Bible can cause us to overlook or gloss over certain things that we shouldn't. And I think that's a case here because here's the point. What do you suppose is meant by the phrase and they stripped him? They stripped him. It was close. Jesus had been scourged, which meant that He had been beaten severely, to the point where his flesh would have been torn in several pieces down to the bone. Scourging was so intense, it was so horrific, that criminals would often faint, if not die. Before they even got to the crucifixion, because of the intensity of the scourging, it was awful. So here was Jesus. Having been scourged, he would have been covered in blood, wearied. He was the Son of Man, physically emotionally exasperated. And here he was standing before a whole band of soldiers, which would have consisted of about 600 men. Anybody interested in changing clothes in front of at least 600 men while they're mocking you in the process of doing so? Anybody want to sign up for that? (laughs) Think this was comfortable for Him? Think this was ideal? Think this is what He preferred in the flesh? I say no. When we think about the cross, I think we often think about the torture aspect of it, and we should. It was that, but... I think here's something we overlook. The cross was a humiliating and shameful experience for Jesus. It was humiliating and shameful. Philippians 2.8, in being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Would, you, would you look at that word in verse 8, humbled, and those the prefix, the first three letters, hum? That prefix means ground. So when you're looking at a word like humble, humbled, humility, humiliation, when you're looking at it here in Philippians 2 verse 8, what we're getting at here is that Jesus... When he humbled himself, even to the death of the cross, listen, here's what he did. He got as low as you could get to the ground. He went as low as you could possibly go. He humbled himself. Humiliated publicly. Stripped, mocked. To that I say, be careful when you draw lines like, I will not do this, and I will not do that, and and I won't be treated this way. He humbled himself. Listen, he was treated less than a wild animal. disgrace. The cross is also shameful. Hebrews 12, verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Despising the shame meant that Jesus' did not give into the shame that came with this. It was shameful. But he was not ashamed. But it was shameful. He despised it. And this was also the experience of Paul and Silas. Look at 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 and 2. For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain, but even after that we had... Suffered before and were shamefully entreated. As you know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. The shameful treatment that was in view here was the beating and the imprisonment that they had endured. It was shameful. Again, what are your expectations? What are they? Is it comfort? Convenience? Personal preference? If it's that, I'm sorry, but you're going to struggle with the Lord. So am I. God allowed his son, the apostle Paul, Silas, and many others to be woefully treated. Are you willing to be woefully treated? Can I tell you, if I'm honest, there have been times where, from a, my wife will tell you. Now, I will say, I go both ways. In that, like, we went out to lunch last week, our family, and we had a great time. The, the food was great. The service was very good. Um, I was, I thought everything was, was priced properly. I mean I, I it was a it was a thumbs up experience. So I said, hey can I see the manager please? Say so, hey, I just want to let you know it's our first time here, fantastic restaurant. Food was great, service was great, like the prices. Just want you to know we'll be back. Lori's like oh. all right. Okay but, but 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 when it comes to service like listen have you have you eaten out with a family of four recently? And got the check. (laughs) Okay, he's like, man, do I need to take out a loan here or what? (laughs) Right? Like, I, I, it's, I mean, you pay top dollar for this stuff anymore, right? So I'm like, well, you know, I've got what? Expectations of what I think the service ought to be like and whatnot. But there have been times where I hear that voice in my head that says, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are that, that the service level ought to be this? Hey, you said no onions. Onions make you nauseated, give you a headache. They put onions on your sandwich. Let them know that. Jesus humbled himself. Got as low as you could get. I think he would have just taken the onions and just pushed them aside. It's okay. Maybe I need a headache. (laughs) Romans 1.16 For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. So David referenced the article that uh, was shared in the Life Fellowship WhatsApp chat that uh, alluded or spoke to the fact that 1%, and to his point, probably even less than that, of churches have an ongoing evangelism effort. Do you know why that is? Do you know why that is true? Not just out there, but right in here. That Big Town Baptist Temple Life Fellowship. Listen... One of the reasons that many believers refuse to evangelize is because they refuse to despise the shame of doing so. They refuse to despise the shame of doing so. How are people going to view me now after I confront them with the gospel? What are they going to say about me? How are they going to treat me? How's that going to change the relationship dynamic? I mean, right now, I'm, I'm, actually, I'm actually kind of part of the, the club. So like when people go out to lunch, they ask me to go. Hey, they invite me to their baby shower. But if I share the gospel, like actually I like my neighbor. You know? Maybe he's a Chiefs fan and I'm a Chiefs fan and we get together and watch Chiefs games together or maybe we go antiquing together. But I know. Is that funny? I saw your face. Antiquing? Some people do that, right? <laughs> you envision me antiquing? No. I'm just trying to paint a picture. But if you want to go antiquing with me, I'll gladly join you. Yes. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'll, I'll, I'll join you. But right. It's the relationship. You enjoy it, right? Like, can I be honest? Like there are lost people I used to work with. I enjoyed them on a personal level. I mean, there are guys that I had a relationship with. Some I still do. Just. Especially on Saturdays and Sundays when Michigan's playing, Chief's playing, these guys are lighting my phone up. You see that, bro? What's going on? Blah, 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 blah. Go blue. (laughs) Right? But you know, like once you go there, it's different, isn't it? The issue is, is that preoccupation with those questions ultimately matter more than God's glory in their soul. Which is shameful. Listen, no one is going to faithfully preach the gospel without being woefully treated at some point. At some point, someone's going to let you know You're dirt to them. (laughs) They're not going to be kind. That's the reality, guys. Although Nahash, Hanan's father, had showed kindness to David, he was a wicked man. He wasn't a friend of God, and he wasn't a friend of God's people. Look at 1 Samuel 11, verse 1. Then Nahash the Ammonite came up and encamped against Jabesh Gilead, and all the men of Jabesh said unto Nahash, Make a covenant with us, and we will serve thee. And Nahash the Ammonite answered them, On this condition will I make a covenant with you, that I may thrust out all your right eyes, and lay it for a reproach upon all Israel. Nahash believed that he was entitled, or that the land of, of Gilead belonged to him, and he wanted it. But listen, here's Here's the deal. This name, Nahash, guess what it means? It means serpent. It means serpent. And he was Hanan's father. So guess what Hanan was ultimately doing, doctrinally, the picture here. Hanan was ultimately doing the lust of his father, John 44. That's what he was doing. Listen, it is. It is. You, you've got to do this math. Listen. Listen. Lost people think lost thoughts, say lost things, do lost things. Why? Because they're lost. They're lost. When you are treated woefully by someone for preaching the gospel, that is because it's not that this person necessarily hates you personally, it's just they're doing the lust of their father, the devil which ought to break your heart for them. To say, I know who's behind that. I see your darkness. I see your doom. But as we approach this final point, we've got to examine the response of the king to this woeful treatment. Look at verse 5. When they told it unto David, he sent to meet them because the men were greatly ashamed. And the king said, tarry at Jericho until your beards be grown, be grown and then return. Notice that David sent. Now, we're going to amplify this point when we get to this next chapter in chapter 11. But you see this phrase, the king sent or David sent, and he's going to do some sending and in the next chapter. That will be a game changer will be very interesting, be very different. I just want to make a note of that. But these men were not ashamed of their king. They weren't ashamed of their nation. That's not what they were ashamed of. They were ashamed in the sense of being publicly disgraced and humiliated. But instead of having them to return to Jerusalem for all to see them in a disgraceful state, he says, stay in Jericho, until your beards grow back. Which leads us to make this point, listen, the Lord cares about our well-being. Just as David cared about theirs, God does care about your well-being. Yes, these realities can be uh, hard to process, they're very sober, but we can kind of get the idea that, that, you know, does God care? Anytime we're treated woefully, we are tempted to question, does God care? Is that not true? Anytime we're treated poorly by others. God, have you left me? Do you love me? Have you abandoned me? And all of that. But on some level, these men had to have felt like they had felled the king. Like this is, hey, you sent us to express kindness. We went, here's how it went down, and we're sorry. These men had nothing to be sorry about. And if you notice... David did not express any disappointment toward them. As a matter of fact, he was was sympathetic. He gave them time to grow their beards back and, and regain their honor, if you would. He wasn't personally mad at them, but it brings us to make this point in this conversation about evangelism, and I think this is simple, but I think it's critical. The Lord holds the believer accountable for the preaching of the gospel and the unbeliever accountable for how they respond to it. That's the score. God holds you accountable to preach it. God does not hold you accountable for how they respond to it. So recognize that line. I think sometimes people feel like a personal failure Or they feel ashamed that, well, man, I was obedient and I I, I prayed and my heart was in the right place. And man, they could have they couldn't have been more nasty. What what did I do wrong? Nothing. (laughs) And the Lord is not personally disappointed with you. He's personally grieved over them. David's servants could not make Hanan and his men receive this kindness. They weren't responsible for that. Now, the rest of the chapter uh, focuses on David doing what? Holding the children of Ammon accountable for their response to his kindness. This is what we're going to see next. And in that, we see a grim picture of those who reject the kindness of the gospel. Mephibosheth, in chapter 9, he embraced the kindness of God, David's kindness, and what did he receive? Life. These folks rejected it, and what are they going to receive? Death. We're going to see that. But coming out of fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus entered into an episode of intense spiritual warfare that peaked with him being tempted with suicide. But would you notice what happened at the close of that in Matthew 4, verse 11? Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. As a son of man, physically, he was wiped and had just gone through a battle of battles. And at the end of that, angels come and ministered to him. Psalm 911 tells us, For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. God sent his angels to comfort, to minister to, to take care of his son. You know what's interesting about this temptation in Matthew chapter 4, if you go back in verse 6, the devil plays with this verse a little bit, Psalm 91 and verse 11, but here's what he leaves off. He leaves off the second half of it, to keep thee in all thy ways. Very, very interesting. No one should count on angelic protection if their ways are not the ways of God. That can actually forfeit that. These realities, listen, they should not discourage us. What they should do, though, is they should sober us. They should compel us to, when we are gathered together and we're going to take time to pray over this, that, that we're locked in. Because we realize how real this is. Because what we're reading here in 2 Samuel 10 is our story. God is sending us to the wicked. They're wary. We're going to be treated woefully. (laughs) But we do close with this. Regardless of how the lost respond to the gospel... God ministers to his faithful servants. God will take care of you. He will take care of you. Our time is up. You've got some discussion questions uh, for you to personally uh, work through, spend some time with the Lord on. Uh, We need to wrap it up and, and transition out of here, but so good to see all of you. Look forward to seeing you across the street. Look forward to seeing you Tuesday night. Look forward to seeing you next Sunday. Father, in Jesus' name, uh, thank you for your precious word. Uh, Thank you for the things that we've heard from you this morning. Lord, help us to hide these things in our hearts. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.